from what I saw riding in a Tesla and driving the Tesla, um, it's clear that they have they they are not able to get a good uh, grasp of the orientation of vehicles, which means that they can't do good prediction, which means that the system can't really work very well. Hello and welcome to the Atonicast. As always, I'm Alex Roy, um, co-host of the No Parking Podcast, founder of the Human Driving Association. And just for the sake of the transparency, I also work at Argo AI. Also works. Um, I'm Kirsten Korosek, and I'm senior transportation reporter at TechCrunch. And I'm Ed Niedermeyer. I'm the author of Ludicrous, the Unvarnished Story of Tesla Motors. So this is my my favorite time of year. Okay, well, one of my favorite times of year. Even now? Even now, uh, with all that's happening, um, there is a, a, an annual tradition that I have really grown to cherish, and that is the uh, Navigant Research Autonomous Leaderboard mm. Report coming out and breaking the brains of all kinds of people who uh, cannot, cannot handle it. And this happens every year, or... Certainly the last couple of years, it's been a big thing. Um, and usually the, the, big, uh, the big pushback, let's call it, uh, comes from fans of Tesla, which this leaderboard uh, typically ranks quite low. And, and the latest one uh, prompted a, a great little story from Clean Technica called Navigant's Nonsense About Tesla Autonomous Driving. Awesome. <laughs> and it, it doesn't really, it kind of just lists the categories um, that that the the leaderboard assesses, um, and it says that most the, uh, most answers for most companies would either be quote unknown or quote does not matter. <laughs> um, uh, so is it in the eyes? Okay, so and it, it describes Tesla's strategy, and so in the eyes of well, actually, it talks about Tesla's EV track record and said this is likely a bad strategy and execution. Um, and it says Navigate does not pretend to judge the future products of these companies let alone who is likely to be first to market with a viable product. It's almost like that doesn't matter at all. But my reading of this report uh, suggests that it, it does exactly that. So to get to uh, the bottom of this, uh, we are joined by our friend, Sam Abel-Samid of Navigant Research and the author of the Autonomous Leaderboard Report. Sam, welcome to the Autonicast. Hello, everybody. Glad to be back again. Mm, Sam, uh, just to, to be fair, in the past, uh, I gave you some grief about this report. And then as I came to understand it, uh, I, I have to say that I respect it a lot more. And that's not because my employer is ranked number two. <laughs> <laughs> when, at, at the time when you started to respect it was before you went to work for, your, for that particular company. So, you know. That's true. Uh, I, I had to actually read the full report um, behind the paywall to understand, really understand um, the assumptions behind it. That I was right. If, if I recall this uh, this episode, <laughs> I think I was the the lone uh, the lone defender of it back then. Well, you know, that's the, around, so, huh? One of the signs of maturity is admitting when one is wrong. But just so <laughs> there's no accusation here of bias, let us open this up to Sam and you and Kirsten to discuss discuss the report. 
I don't think that there's any chance of a bias in that, except for that one little tiny plug about your employer. But well, you know, um, I will slip in some comments to the extent that I can regarding Argo's position. Or oh, it's not Argo's position. Let's just let Sam. Why don't you walk us through the? You want to walk us through the rankings? You want to do that? Or before, or, before we do that, though, yeah. Before we do that, the the issue of of bias is one that does come up. Um, people have, and I think the one that, that kind of triggers people is, is that Ford is ranked quite high here, has been in past years. That surprises a lot of people. And, uh, of course, some, some people have gone to the disclosure section of the Navigant website and found Ford is a client and, and this must just be some pay to play thing. So before we, before we get into the report itself, um, why don't you just tell people like what Navigant is and, uh, how it delivers value to its clients um, just so they understand what this relationship really is. And I do think uh, also at some point we should talk about the methodology that is used and if it's ever changed, if you've ever you know tweaked the methodology from year to year or has been consistent since you've started this. All right, let's start with disclosures and then we'll get to methodology. All right. So first of all, Navigant Research, the company I work for, and at uh, also, um, it, within the next two, three weeks, uh, we will actually be rebranded as Guidehouse Insights. Uh, so, so depending on when you listen to this, we may or may not be Navigant Research. Uh, we're, we are the, the market research arm of what was Navigant Consulting. Uh, and our, over the history of the company, since it was originally founded as Pike Research in 2009, we've done uh, market research on technology adoption, primarily related to things uh, related to energy use and uh, clean, clean energy technologies. But it's, it's evolved and expanded over time. So, you know, we look at a lot of tangential technologies like automated driving and connected vehicles, among uh, a lot of other things that impact energy use. Um, and what we do is we produce syndicated research reports um, on a variety of topics. Uh, I'm in, I'm part of the transportation team uh, and those reports are available for anybody to purchase just like any other publication is available. You know, you can go, if you can, you know, find a store that's open and, and has still has a magazine rack, you can go buy a copy of car and driver or motor trend. Uh, you know, anybody can buy our reports. It's, you know, it's available to anybody. Most of our customers, most of the people who buy them because they're not inexpensive, uh, are companies uh, or stakeholders that to, to whom the information in, included in there could be relevant in helping them form their strategies and figure out what they want to do with their business. Uh, so for transportation reports, it's often automakers, suppliers, uh, but we also, you know, they also get purchased by uh, regulators, uh, regulatory bodies, investors, uh, you know, a lot of different people buy these reports. And uh, for our syndicated reports, they are not sponsored by anybody. Um, you know, yes, Ford happens to buy uh, some of our research. So do a lot of other companies. But there are a, most of the companies that are on this report uh, that are included in this report are not subscribers, including, you know, several companies at the top of the list, uh, you know, are not, not, not subscribers to our research. You know, it's no different, you know, than for example, automotive news, pretty much every manufacturer, you know, somewhere within their organization has a subscription to automotive news and buys ads. Yeah. And buys ads. And for, you know, to what it, for what it's worth, there are no ads in our research reports. Um, so, you know, they, 
you know, the, the, the publication, you know, produces stuff, you know, regardless of who is going to purchase it. You know, we, we, we produce content that, you know, um, that we think is going to be, that we hope is going to be useful to our, to our audience. And, you know, most at, based on sales, I think we're doing a pretty reasonable job of that. So did you get the same pushback this year as you have in previous years? I mean, I know Alex wasn't giving you a hard time, but I'm, I'm wondering if, if this year the reaction was any different um, from last year or previous years. Um, no, actually, I'd say it's probably been a little bit less, uh, although some of that may be due to my, um, my um, use of the mute and block buttons on Twitter. Um, so, you know, some of the stuff I, I haven't seen. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it, there's always some complaints, you know, including the the article that uh, Ed referenced at the top of the show here that was on Clean Technica today. And and personally, my favorite line of that was the the very the opening paragraph, you know, the the last line. Let's see. Navigant Research has produced its leaderboard about the race to full autonomous driving. It's highly respected in the media, not so much among those that know a tiny bit about the subject. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's what I find is that the, the people who complain the most about it are the ones that actually um, know the least about the technology and, and, and more importantly, the business. And that's a that's a key part of this. And I think that's probably where you maybe where you want to go next, Kirsten, is the methodology and, you know, kind of what is. What is the overall approach to this? Well, yeah, and I, I mean, if anyone reads the report, you 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 describe the methodology. But um, for listeners, maybe you can talk about that, how it's changed, if it's changed, um, how and why it was developed the way it was. Yeah, so um, you know, we started doing leaderboard reports on a variety of topics. I don't know, probably about nine or ten years ago. Uh, I think yeah, I think our first ones were published back in 2010. We've been doing the automated driving report since about 2015. Uh, and the the technology the the methodology um, the basic methodology hasn't really changed, but the the criteria evolve over time. The companies that we choose to include uh, from year to year doesn't does evolve over time. Um, and you know, it's, it's in part based on, you know, changes in the market, changes in the technology. You know, so each year as, a, as we start uh, this report, you know, I take a look at what has changed and which companies do, you know, should be included, which ones uh, that may be included in the past, you know, maybe shouldn't be included anymore, who who hasn't been included that should be. And, you know, am I looking at the the right criteria? And, you know, the scoring, we have 10 different criteria for this particular one. And, you know, uh, for different leaderboards that we do on different topics, you know, some of those criteria vary a little bit because it depends on the, the business that we're looking at, and the technology we're looking at. Um, but we have 10 criteria for this one. And, you know, um, you know, sometimes the, the weighting may change a little bit from year to year. Certainly the companies that are included changes. Um, you know, this year, uh, I dropped Uber off the list. Uh, I decided not to include Lyft, you know, um, and, you know, some companies that you might expect to be on this list, uh, like, for example, Argo or Aurora are not included. And the reason why is, you know, over time, you know, you have, there are so many companies that have popped into this space in the last five, six, seven years that, clearly can't include all of them. So at some point, you know, I have to make some uh, arbitrary decisions, you know, uh, draw a line of what, what are, what is the group of companies that I want to evaluate? And 
over the last two, three years, at least that group has been, uh, companies that are developing the technology and looking to commercialize it, you know, to end customers in some way. And those end customers might be individuals, you know, for, uh, ride hailing services or people that are buying vehicles, uh, or it could be, could also be, um, you know, companies, uh, you know, uh, businesses. It could be a business-to-business play, you know, for goods delivery. Um, and so, what I opted to do, you know, a couple starting a couple of years ago, was not to include companies that were focused just on developing some of the core technology, but rather those that are taking taking the technology, you know, whether they've developed it in-house or with a partner. And actually bringing it to market in some way. So who's who's going to successfully commercialize? So that's why, for example, NVIDIA, which you know produces a lot of the computers that are used in a lot of these systems, uh, and in many cases, a lot of the the software components that are incorporated in the in these stacks uh, is not included because they're not the company that's actually taking it to market. They are providing it to their partners like Bosch, like Baidu, uh, you know, and, and many others. And in fact, probably, probably almost every company on this list is using some NVIDIA hardware and or software in their systems. Uh, so, so real quick, um, that, so you've always used those as your, um, basically how you're choosing companies is through that lens of commercialization, Correct. Yes. So who's going to be able to successfully commercialize this? Can we just march down this list? And I have some questions. Okay. But I have one other question. Do you think that, um, and we can circle back to this. I, you know, I, there are a couple of U S based and Chinese backed companies that have operations in both California and in China, pony.ai being one of them. And they've definitely been scaling up. And I'm wondering if you, if you, I don't know how long that you were focused on this um, report, like when you started looking at it, but based on some of the disengagement data, I've definitely seen a huge run up in the miles and the size of their fleet and testing. And they definitely have an eye on commercialization. I'm wondering if you're going to pay more attention to those companies now in the future. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, up until now, you know, I mean, I, I cover this stuff throughout the year and, you know, I'm talking to and meeting with these companies and uh, in many cases, you know, uh, actually getting demo rides and evaluating their, their systems, you know, throughout the course of the year. And it's really, you know, towards the end of the year, the beginning part of the year, uh, where I really start sitting down and, and trying to formulate which companies to include. Uh, so for example, this year I did include Yandex because I got a chance to, to meet with them at CES, go for a ride, talk to them at, at some length, you know, um, and learn a lot more about what they're doing. Uh, some companies like Pony and We Ride and, uh, and so, several other Chinese companies, uh, I've had more difficulty, you know, learning more about what they're, you know, what specifically what they're doing. Um, you know, hopefully this year I'll be able to, uh, get in touch with Pony, uh, some more and, you know, learn, you know, more about their approach to the problem, uh, and, you know, look at including them for next year. Uh, so, you know, in, in part, you know, it's based on how, you know, 
companies that I can get enough information on to make a useful judgment. You know, if a, if a company is still in stealth mode or if they're, you know, even if they're out there, but not really sharing much about what they're doing, then I, you know, I, I have to make a judgment and decide, okay, I, I can't reasonably score these, these guys. Um, and, you know, so I don't necessarily include them. So one of the things I really like about this, and and this is sort of where I came down last time we discussed this, um, is that it does take um, an an endeavor, a a sort of not it's not an industry yet, but um, uh, that that is usually looked at purely as a a technology problem, um, and really sort of zooms out and says, wait a second, like this is there's more to this than just the technology that goes into an an automated driving or an autonomous driving stack. There is a whole business go-to-market strategy, a whole bunch of so, and and that's why I really appreciate this. And I think it's why a lot of people don't, you know, necessarily understand this, um, or, or like why you come to the rankings that you do. And it's because it is this holistic look, which is actually quite rare um, in in our world, unfortunately. So I want I want to see if we can just kind of go through those ten um, criteria that you judge each of the companies by, because I think it'll help people understand sort of the the full spectrum of of what you're looking at here. Yeah, and that's 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 a key part of you know ever since the the first one first edition of this that we did in 2015, that idea of you know the the whole business you know not just the technology has always been a key part of this um, you know and you know this is also why it's evolved you know when we first started looking at this you know at the time it seemed more like companies were aiming to bring this to consumer vehicles, to, to retail vehicles. And over time that has shifted significantly towards more of the mobility service, transportation as a service type of model as the, as the primary deployment model for this. And so that's also caused us to shift, you know, our thinking as to which, which companies to include and and how to evaluate uh, the companies. And, so, you know, the, 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 the 10 criteria, you know, that we look at are, you know, vision, uh, which is, you know, what, what is the, you know, and this is of the 10, this is the most subjective one, uh, you know, looking at what are, you know, what is the company trying to achieve with this technology? Um, you know, and this is, this is one where traditionally, you know, Tesla has, has done pretty well and Waymo has done pretty well because, you know, they, they had they had this publicly expressed vision of you know wanting to make driving safer more convenient for people um, you know all all the things that they've talked about you know very high minded ideas which is which is great you know but then you start diving into some of these other areas you know having a vision is great but you know then how do you actually make a business out of that because if you can't do that then you know none of the rest really matters. Uh, and so we go, you know, we look at things like what are the go-to-market strategies? Um, you know, how are, how are they going to commercialize this very specifically? Are they planning to sell vehicles to consumers? Are they planning to uh, operate a mobility service business on their own? Do they want to focus on commercial vehicles, um, you know, uh, goods delivery, um, you know, and then partners, you know, who are they partnering with, you know, um, you know, whether that be, you know, AV specific companies like Argo, like Aurora uh, and others, you know, that are developing the core AV stack um, or are they doing it in house, but also more broadly, you know, in, in conjunction with that go-to-market strategy, you know, um, 
who, you know, how are they actually going to achieve that? Uh, you know, so for example, you know, Waymo, you know, a few years ago, Waymo came in, you know, I think fifth or sixth overall, even though they had by far and away the highest score on the technology side. And that's because at the time they had not talked about uh, or, you know, given any clear indication of, of actually how they were going to go to market. You know, this was before they had announced partnerships with uh, Avis and AutoNation to service their fleets, uh, before they, um, you know, had deals with Walmart and other companies, uh, you know, to provide services for them. Uh, so, you know, it's as they did those things and made it, and it became clearer what their approach was going to be, they gradually moved up the rankings, you know, similarly production strategy, how, you know, how are you actually going to get the, the hardware ultimately, you know, you can have a system, but if you can't produce it, you know, then that's a problem. And so, you know, as, as Waymo, uh, you know, started to develop relationships with automakers like FCA and Jaguar Land Rover and, and probably others going forward, you know, they, that move those scores up, you know, if a company doesn't have a good means to actually produce vehicles or procure vehicles, then, you know, their score is going to be lower in that the technology, you know, I think that one's fairly self-explanatory. Okay. And so just to, to the, those first five fit under strategy, right? Yes. So you have a, a sort of a high level grouping of, of those first five. Right. So there's two axes on the leaderboard. One is strategy, one is execution. Okay. And so that, so then that brings us to execution. Right. So execution, you know, sales, marketing, and distribution, you know, again, what, you know, what is the, um, the approach, you know, how are they going to get these vehicles into the marketplace? How are they going to support those vehicles? Um, you know, how are they, you know, uh, we, you know, knowing that, you know, for AVs going forward, they're going to require updates, a lot of updates on a regular basis, you know, software updates and, and hardware updates. How are they going to manage that? You know, so having a distribution channel of some sort, uh, you know, it, to either sell or, or manage these vehicles when they're out, you know, to get them into the real world is, is a, a crucial part of this. Cause again, if you can't do that, you know, that's going to be a problem. Um, you know, product capability, you know, what can the system do? How, what kind of, um, you know, what, what are the, um, the environments you're aiming to operate in? You know, is it a broad enough environment to, uh, actually be useful to build a business around? Uh, you know, product quality and reliability. This is kind of a little bit, um, you know, some historical input, you know, you know, has this company proven itself to be capable of actually uh, doing this, you know, producing this stuff reliably, um, you know, or, or do they have a plan to do that? Um, you know, the portfolio again, you know, kind of what types of vehicles do they want to bring? What types of technologies do they want to bring to the market? And then staying power, uh, is, you know, kind of a look at their, their financials, you know, um, you know, is this a company that has the resources to stick it out for the long term? Because this is not something that is going to happen overnight. You know, um, they're going to lose a lot of money for all of these companies are going to lose a lot of money on this for a long time. And do they, do they have the resources to stick with it and be around for that long period? I, it seems like that last point, the staying power has become more important probably over time, I'm guessing. Yeah, we're going to get to that. Greetings, Atonicat Nation. Pardon the interruption. We know you're all anxious to hear the rest of the show, but we need a minute of your time. Actually, Kirsten, we need a few minutes. Okay, fine. Well, let's be clear. We don't need your time as much as your information. 
you might have heard that we have created a survey. Hold up. Let's provide some context here. What started as a fun side project has turned into something much bigger than we ever expected. And so it's time for us to grow up just a little. And to do that, we need to better understand our audience. We created a survey to do just that. The data fields are mostly optional, but the more you provide, the more you help. Importantly, we will never share your personal information with anyone. Filling out this survey is the most effective way to help us make this podcast everything it can be. So please take a few minutes to visit atonicast.com slash survey and help us understand who you are and how we can improve. Thanks. Alex, I know you really want him to just go down the list. So. I do. I have questions. Okay, please. All right. So number one, we have Waymo, mm-hmm. um, which is not unexpected. Um, so I think we can probably skip that one. Uh, number two, you've got... Uh, Ford autonomous vehicles, um, and you eliminated Argo because Argo was folded in underneath Ford because Argo is building the um, the level level four stack. Yeah, so uh, you know our, this is an example of what I talked about before. You know, Argo is developing the AV stack. You know, the, putting together the sensor suite and the software, and you know a, a lot of the the backend stuff, the mapping. Uh, and everything that's going to go into Ford vehicles. And, you know, in the, the description, you know, in the scoring of Ford, I take that into account. I take in Argo's capabilities. And I talk about Argo being a key part of this puzzle. Same thing this year for Volkswagen, you know, um, you know, because uh, Volkswagen made that big investment in Argo. Uh, and so, you know, they are a key partner, but Argo is not the one that's taking this to market. They are, they are the supplier in this, in this part producing part uh, a key part of the system. So here's my question. So uh, Ford is slightly to the right on the strategy axis of Cruise, which is uh, third. Mm-hmm. So uh, what? how do you differentiate between Cruise and Ford autonomous vehicles for strategy? And why is Ford ahead? So, you know, I think one of the things, you know, having watched this business, you know, this technology, this industry for quite a few years now, um, you know, I've been, I've spent time talking with the cruise folks, I've spent time talking to the Ford folks, uh, you know, both in, in public settings and also in private, uh, as well as many of these other companies. And one of the things that has struck me about Ford all the way along is from the very beginning in 2016, when they announced their intention to produce an L4 AV in 2021, and this was even before they made the investment in Argo, you know, they, they talked about, uh, you know, that their approach, what at the time, what their approach was going to be was, you know, focusing on ride hailing, but, you know, they set up this business unit, you know, um, which eventually became Ford Autonomous Vehicles LLC. You know, it's a wholly owned subsidiary of Ford Motor Company uh, that is focused on, you know, the business model development, uh, you know, and looking at, and, and also working with their smart mobility unit, looking at, at you know, working with partners doing a lot of experimentation, you know, on a lot of different approaches to how do we bring this to market and trying to understand what are the best approaches and factoring that back into uh, the design of the vehicles that they want to utilize. And so I think that they, you know, this doesn't get talked a lot about publicly, but I think that they have taken a very thoughtful approach uh, to this and, you know, and they're, their target, you know, has evolved over time, you know, whereas originally it was primarily ride hailing, you know, it has shifted 
I think more now there's more bias on the goods delivery component of it, but they, they recognize that to, to make this commercially viable, you have to have a broad range of capabilities so that you can get maximize the utilization of these vehicles. So you can generate the most revenue you can because you, what you don't want is to have these fairly expensive vehicles sitting around parked half the day. You know, so, um, you know, they're, they're looking at how do we, how do we do this in a way that keeps these vehicles moving, you know, so that, you know, first of all, they're not consuming parking spaces. You, they want to minimize, you know, zombie miles in the cities, you know, so they're, they're, they're doing a lot of very thoughtful things, um, you know, and cruise, you know, until relatively recently, you know, was really more focused on the ride hailing component of it. Um, you know, and then I think, you know, the, the other part, uh, you know, with Ford, uh, is, you know, focusing on, you know, working on, and this, you know, again, is, a Argo is a big part of this is testing in multiple different kinds of locations, you know, to try to make a system that's going to be robust, you know, working in Miami and DC and now Austin, as well as Pittsburgh and Detroit, you know, um, they're, they're taking a, a more broad based approach to the problem. So Baidu is right next to cruise. Um, and I mean, almost the same level as Cruise and Ford for execution, but strategy just slightly behind behind Cruise. Can you talk us through a little bit about Baidu? Yeah. So Baidu, you know, again, most of what you hear about Baidu um, in the media and, and, and other places is around the Baidu Apollo open source uh, program, which is actually just one piece of what they're doing uh, more broadly. You know, um, you know, when that first got announced a few years ago, you know, everybody thought, oh, yeah, OK, this is going to be the Android of autonomous driving, um, you know, and, and it's a, it's an important component, but it's actually not the only thing that they're doing. You know, a lot of the work that they're doing is in China, um, you know, and it, they've, they've actually got two parallel paths, you know, much as Google has with Android. You know, they've got the Android open source project and then they've got the, the stuff that is actually gets applied to phones, you know, with their various hardware manufacturing partners. Um, Baidu has, you know, the open source project. And then they also have, you know, this internal project, which draws on the open source project um, and feeds some stuff back into it. But that's the one that they're doing with a variety of automotive OEMs, including Ford, uh, but also, you know, Mercedes-Benz and, and also working with suppliers like Bosch um, that is really targeted at commercializing uh, this uh, L4 technology. And Baidu actually has a pretty large fleet operating in China, a pretty large test fleet. And they're doing a lot of work in China, especially around the Beijing area, but in a couple of other cities as well. And one of the things um, about working in China, especially, is, um, you know, here, you know, in California, you know, if you want to test an AV on public roads, you go to the DMV, you pay 150 bucks or whatever it is, fill out the paperwork, you know, and get a permit. Um, there's no real testing uh, involved. You know, you don't have to prove that your system actually works. Uh, you know, you can get a permit and, and you're off and running. In China, in order to test on public roads, the the companies actually have to go through a t an actual evaluation process, much as human drivers, you know, have to take a test to get a driver's license. They basically have the same thing over there for for AV companies. You have to, uh, you know, go to the authorities and run through a series of uh, evaluations on the track 
to prove that your system actually works before they let you test it on the roads. And depending on what your capabilities are, they limit where you can test, what environments you can test in. And Baidu has by far the most advanced, they, they've, they've gotten the, the highest uh, level of uh, capability. So what, what's known there is the R4, which doesn't directly translate to an L4 system, but it's in the Chinese system, it, it's known as R4. They have the, the highest capability level of any of the companies that are testing in China and have a fairly large fleet. And so they're, they're actually doing some, some quite advanced work. And so the companies that are working with Baidu in the Chinese market, um, you know, especially the, the non-Chinese OEMs, um, you know, they're, they're partnering with Baidu because of the, in part because of the uh, data collection restrictions in China. Uh, so it's harder for a company like Aurora or Argo to go into China, uh, but, you know, they can, they can work with a Baidu and, and Baidu has, has proven themselves quite capable. So uh, Argo is also providing um, and has backing from uh, the system and it has backing from Volkswagen Group, but Volkswagen is down at number seven. And I know that that relationship is fairly new, but I'm wondering if there is something about uh, the commercialization, like the deployment strategy that puts Volkswagen much lower on the list than Ford, um, or if it's because for any of these companies, uh, Volkswagen included, you just don't have the same maybe level of insight into these companies based on what people are telling you and what you're able to actually glean from them. Um, Because you mentioned earlier, you're doing private conversations as well. So I'm, sh- I'm sure that you have sources within all these companies. Yeah. So in, in Volkswagen's case, um, you know, part of the reason why they ranked lower than Ford, even though they're, they're using, um, you know, the, they're, or they will be using the same um, Argo technology uh, for the AV stack is again, because some of the, the go to market and, and the business strategies are not quite as fully formed as where Ford is, you know, so they're, they're probably a couple of years behind uh, Ford, you know, at least a year and a half to two years behind Ford uh, would be my estimation. Uh, And, you know, based on what they've also, you know, what they've acknowledged, you know, their, their plan to actually roll these out, you know, is, is running behind Ford. Um, And, you know, some of the, they're doing some, some good things, you know, they're working on some stuff with Moya, uh, which is their in-house mobility services unit that they formed a few years ago. Uh, but it's just, it's not quite as mature, I think, at this stage yet, at least based on what I've seen as where Ford is at at, at this point. So um, we've discussed on the show a number of times, um, you know, how difficult it is every time we get in an autonomous vehicle um, to assess it. How good is this really? Um, because there are so many factors um, that can go into it, where the demo is, you know, wh- what kind of build it is, you know, a whole bunch of things. Um, and, and it's also just very difficult as a human, you know, which is not something that we practice a lot, right. Is assessing the quality of a, of an autonomous systems driving capability while you're in the car. Um, so product capability is, is, is an area, I assume that's what that goes where, where those considerations would be, would be factored in. There's some pretty big differences between some of these companies. Um, I'm just curious, like what, you know, what, what do you look for? Like, like talk to us about, about how you're assessing um, the capabilities of these systems um, because that is really challenging. And it's something that I mean, just per, on a personal level, I would any help you can offer and how to do that would be great. 
Yeah. So, you know, um, you mentioned, you know, it varies quite widely depending on, you know, where you're evaluating it, what are the conditions. Um, so, you know, for me, I, I have not had an opportunity to ride in every single one of these systems. Um, so it's a, it's a mix of, you know, personal experience from being in some of these, many of these vehicles. Um, and when I do get a chance to ride in them, you know, I try to pay close attention to the environment, you know, where, where the test or the demo is happening, uh, as well as, you know, looking at the safety drivers, you know, looking at how often are they really taking over control and also, you know, watching the, uh, the screens, you know, all, every time you're in one of these things, they have displays in there for the passengers to show you what, what the sensors are seeing. What are the, you know, what are the, um, what, what is the perception system detecting around you, you know? And so, um, looking around outside the vehicle, you know, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's always a very busy time when I'm riding in one of these things. Cause I'm looking at, okay, what's around me. I'm glancing at the screen. Is that what's on the screen? You know, is the screen picking up that pedestrian? Okay, good. You know, is there something that's showing up on the screen that's not actually there? Or is there something that's out there that's not on the screen in front of me? Um, so I'm, I'm looking for all these things, you know, and then looking, uh, you know, at how the system is behaving, you know, is it exhibiting, um, you know, smooth driving capability, uh, you know, kind of a naturalistic driving capability. Um, does it, is it confidence inspiring as a passenger? Um, you know, and then, you know, in the cases, you know, one example, you know, product capability, uh, you know, I gave, uh, Tesla a fairly low score, um, cause, you know, one of the things that I experienced, you know, when I finally had a chance last year to drive a model three, um, you know, with autopilot, you know, <laughs> looking at the, looking at the screen, you know, and, you know, it's showing you the vehicles that, that are, are that it thinks are around you, you know, what, what the, the sensors are perceiving. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing these other vehicles around me that are, that are there, but, you know, for example, you know, the, the angle of those vehicles that, you know, was being rendered on the screen, you know, indicating what the system, where the system, where the system thinks or that car is pointed, you know, was bouncing around all over the place. And, you know, one of the, the key uh, challenges that, uh, you know, over the last year and a half, you know, talking to people, uh, one of the key challenges that a lot of these companies have identified to me as still a stumbling block of trying to build, make these systems robust is the prediction component, you know, in, in an AV stack, you know, four main things that are happening are perception, you know, understanding what's around you, um, prediction, figuring out, okay, where are the, all those objects going to go in the next three to five seconds? Then your path planning, figure out, okay, how am I going to maneuver through this environment? And then the control, you know, actually sending the signals to the actuators to make it happen. That prediction part is actually proving to be one of the biggest challenges. And if you look at a perception system, and it's it can't accurately predict uh, or it can't accurately detect the orientation of a vehicle, then there's no way in hell that it can accurately predict its its trajectory if it doesn't even know what the orientation is. And you know, a, a great uh, paper that was published last September October timeframe, I think, from a company called Scale AI. Huh. Um, that it was really good. You know, what they did was, you know, last spring Aptiv published a, a big data set uh, from their test vehicles uh, that included both camera data and um, 
and LIDAR data. Um, and one of the, what, what they, you know, because previously most of the, 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 the published data sets that had come out before that were camera data only. And so what the guys at Scale AI did is they took this data set and Scale AI does um, data processing, data labeling and annotation for a lot of AI projects. And so they, they had a couple of teams take these data sets. One got just the camera data and they had to go in and label the, the data, put in the bounding boxes and everything, you know, and try to understand where everything was. The other team got camera and LIDAR data. And what they found when they compared was because vehicles are typically not exactly square, you know, or they don't, they're not all 90 degree angles, uh, aside from the cyber truck, um, that it's actually when you have only two dimensional camera data, it's really hard to truly get an accurate understanding of the orientation of that. And if you have distance data from LIDAR combined with that camera data, you know, to give you the classification, now you can do much more accurate um, judgment of the, the orientation. And so that um, makes it, you can do much better prediction then. You have a much better chance of doing accurate prediction. If you know the, the orientation right now, you have a better idea of where it might be going in a couple of seconds. And from what I saw riding in a Tesla and driving the Tesla, um, it's clear that they have, they, they are not able to get a good uh, grasp of the orientation of vehicles, which means that they can't do good prediction, which means that the system can't really work very well. And, you know, even comments from Elon himself about, you know, relatively recently about doing fundamental rewrites of the of the whole code base, you know, indicate that there's still some real serious problems in there. So that's that's why they got such a low score on capability. Wait, but I thought that Tesla had, you know, millions of miles of of, of real world driving data, more data than anybody else in the business. And the volume of data uh, is what determines the uh, efficacy of neural nets, which in turn uh, is what makes uh, autonomous vehicles work. That's th- th- I'm I'm being told this all the time, so I'm really curious. How do you respond to that? So I absolutely acknowledge that you know millions, billions of miles have been driven with Tesla Autopilot um, by by consumers using uh, using this system, but. Uh, you know, the reality is that only tiny snippets of that data ever get sent back to Tesla, you know, and they, they may, they have some, some logic in there that decides, you know, oh, this is something that could be interesting to the engineers. I'm going to send this back and they'll send, you know, maybe two, three, five seconds worth of data back to Tesla, back to the home office. And, you know, that might get evaluated. So the, what Tesla actually sees versus what's being driven is I don't know. I mean, it may be in the millions of miles. I'm guessing it's probably a lot less than that because they certainly don't have, you don't have the bandwidth in these vehicles to dump all of this data back to the mothership, you know, over an LTE signal or even a Wi-Fi signal. You've got eight cameras, you know, 12 ultrasonic sensors and a radar sensor. So you don't, there's not enough bandwidth to capture and, and there's not enough storage in the vehicle to store all that. So they have to be very selective about what they capture and send back. So the amount that they actually get is a tiny fraction of the total that's being driven. Um, and how much of that is actually relevant? Only Tesla knows. Um, you know, we'll see. 
almost every other company that's doing this development is doing it on private fleets that have big banks of hard drives in the trunk, you know, and they're, they're capturing terabytes of data every shift, you know, and when the cars come back to the depot, they plug in a big fat ethernet cable and uh, ingest all that stuff in. And then they, you know, they go through that and find the stuff that's, that's useful um, after the fact, rather than trying to do it in real time. So I've, I've always been a little dubious of that, that whole premise. And, and frankly, you know, when you look at the, the very scattered, development of autopilot, you know, and, you know, it's very inconsistent and sometimes they move forward and sometimes they move back, you know, when they push out software updates, it's not necessarily clear that, you know, shipping all that, shipping that data back from customer cars has actually been all that useful to them. Uh, I, let me just ask a question uh, in, on Tesla's maybe defense, because I own one and love it. If Tesla could had like tomorrow, a uh, full self-driving worked, or let's say level four worked uh-huh. inside, uh, let's say the geofence was, you know, parts of Silicon Valley. Okay. Uh-huh. Where would they be on this board? Uh, big, I mean, they would be higher in execution, but where would, or walk me through what that would, what that would look like. Okay. So um, first of all, let me go back to autonomy day last April when Elon first publicly talked about having a million robo taxi capable vehicles on the road this year. Um, this is one of the, the fundamental problems that especially this year that, that I highlighted uh, with Tesla is that their vehicles, even, even if they could actually make a good L4 system with the hardware set that they have today. And I think they actually probably could, you know, um, make a decent L4 system, but it would have to be, both geofenced and probably weather restricted. Um, their vehicles actually would are not at all in any way suited to being robo taxis because, you know, once you take the driver out of the vehicle, you know, today, you know, as, you know, as a ride hailing vehicle, they're fine. You know, um, you know, if you've got a driver in there, you know, passenger gets out of the vehicle. If they, don't latch the door properly, you know, or if they have something in the trunk and they don't close the trunk lid properly, no problem. The driver can get out, close the door, whatever, you know, reach back behind, slam the door shut. Um, But if your vehicle does not have a mechanism to automatically close the doors, that automatically in my mind disqualifies it as being a valid, a viable robo taxi. And, you know, the, the basic form factor of Tesla's current, vehicle lineup, you know, whether it's a sedan or uh, a, a tall hatchback like the Model Y, it's just not well suited to that application. So I think that they they probably could do a, a decent L4 system, but it would be m- far more limited than what Tesla claims it to be or or what Elon has proposed that it will be. You know, he's talked about it being L5, you know, meaning it can drive anywhere anytime and he ref, you know, they refuse to put in any geofencing. They don't even use HD maps that have lane information. Um so I you know, I don't see it um be I don't see it getting to that point. Yeah, that's something I always it, it always boggles my mind that right like like any you're an engineer, right? You know, any any engineering project is is about optimizing for for different things, right? And trading off, uh, balancing trade offs, and uh, the idea that a vehicle could be, you know, one of the most desirable premium sports sedans, 
and also a taxi uh, is just when you think about the, the, the different things that engineers can optimize for, those are like totally opposite ends of the spectrum. And it's like, I, I, and I think that I think Teslas are great premium sports sedans for, for, yeah, no, I, I don't argue with that. Buyers. But, you know, because of that, if you, if you agree that they're a great, you know, premium sports sedan, you're probably going to have to admit if you really go through and think it all through that, like, well, that comes with some trade-offs and those trade-offs tend to be problematic when you talk about a, uh, a highly utilized uh, uh, robo taxi. So I have another question for Sam. In light of the coronavirus situation, it would seem to me that uh, a critical component that I guess Waymo is already confronting now is the need to clean repeatedly throughout the day the interior of the vehicle to satisfy, I think, what's going to be very soon uh, almost incontrovertibly mandatory perception of safety is not just going to be the the exterior of the vehicle, but the cleanliness of the interior Mm -hmm. that a fleet operated AV from almost anybody can return to the depot. And there's still time for crews and other companies to retrofit or, or insert into their designs, some form of cleaning system, which might even work in the field, maybe in some limited basis, like a UV light system, perhaps. But that if Tesla had level four deployed tomorrow uh, or in any of the existing vehicles, that such a system is not built into the car. And that this, I think that this is going to be a major problem with shared vehicles and autonomous vehicles. I 100% agree with what you just said. In fact, um, just the other day, I I wrote a blog post for our Navigant Research blog uh, on this very topic that, you know, with what's happening right now with, with, with this pandemic, that, you know, these companies that are developing robo-taxi systems really need to take a look at this problem and to address this problem in some way. And I'm not sure what the answer is, you know, maybe some sort of UV system that once riders get out of the vehicle, you know, you flash the interior of the vehicle with UV to, you know, I don't, and I don't know, I'm not a, a doctor or a chemist. I don't know how long you have to do that or how much intensity you have to do that to kill the virus. But they they need to come up with some solutions uh, to do this. And I know you know that they have been, for example, working you know the interiors providers, you know companies like Adiant and Yan, Yan Fang and Lear and others that that build seating systems and Forcia, you know um, they've been looking at the the robo taxi uh, application, you know developing new materials, you know more durable materials for seating uh, surfaces, uh, but also you know uh, coatings. Uh, you know, antimicrobial coatings to kill bacteria. Um, Cruz and Cruz discussed that with the, with the origin. Apparently they're using those antimicrobial yeah. surfaces. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, so th- that's, that's part of it, you know, but I think uh, clearly we need to go beyond that, you know, in order to uh, address the problem of viruses and especially, you know, when you, when you have situations like this. So it's, it's absolutely something that needs to be addressed and um, ideally addressed before you start to deploy these vehicles. Kirsten, you were just talking about this, right? Yeah, yeah. So our last um, episode, you know, one of the things I, I hope to see, and I, I wonder what your opinion is, is is if COVID-19, um, which we all know now is the disease that's caused by coronavirus and is spreading and is a pandemic, um, if it's going to prompt or inspire new thoughts about design. So just even the interaction with the vehicle, how the vehicle, you know, um, antimicrobial services that's a materials choice. Um, 
and uh, disinfecting, that's also a fleet management operational choice, but there might be some really interesting um, headway that can be happening or innovation that can be happening on the uh, to automate it. But I also kind of wonder if just the design of the vehicle. So I mentioned last week, you know, not having to, for example, grab a door handle um, and having that automated. What do you think? I know, and I know it's early days, but what do you think is going to happen just on the, just the design of the shape and feel and look of these vehicles in the future as a result of what's going on right now? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, everybody is, is looking, looking at this problem. Um, you know, certainly, you know, the, the cruise origin, you know, is one example of, of how you deal with this. Um, you know, I think what we're going to see is this shift towards, um, you know, how, designing the, the, the interface, the user interface of the vehicle to minimize that contact, you know, so maybe you have um, facial recognition or, or some, some, you know, maybe with your phone. So you don't actually have to touch uh, a touchpad on the vehicle or, you know, touch anything on the exterior of the vehicle. Um, you know, obviously you're, you, you can't avoid contact inside the vehicle. Once you sit down, that's, that's why you have to do something there, but there's certainly things you can do with the way the vehicle is designed to minimize that physical contact on the outside. Um, you know, as you know, Alex, you know, the stuff that Ford's been doing down in, in uh, Miami and elsewhere with, you know, various experiments with what the user interface looks like for these vehicles, if they're being used for deliveries or as passenger vehicles is, you know, it, is feeding into their product development process. And I, I would hope that everybody is thinking even more along these lines now, given what's happening today. Okay. Another, I have another COVID-19 question. Do you think that in its early days, right, we're in March and almost every estimation, we all understand that this is going to be playing out throughout the entire year and it's going to uh, have deep economic effects and will likely change a lot of other things too. Next year, is your AV leaderboard going to be predominantly companies who are deploying with a focus or business strategy shaped around delivery and not and not caring people? Um, I think that that may well be the case. Um, you know, I, having just published this one, I haven't you know thoroughly thought through what the twenty twenty one leaderboard is going to look like. Uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes the situation that it's, it's more focused on companies, you know, maybe companies like neuro, you know, that are really focused on the, the delivery side, you know, the delivery bots and, you know, this, this whole, and, you know, if actually delivery bots would be something that could potentially be very valuable right now, um, you know, as people are being told to stay home, not to venture out into the stores, you know, if, you know, if we had more of these delivery bots that could go out, you know, and people could, uh, you know, order their, their groceries and, you know, the other things that they need around the house, you know, and not have to interact with a delivery person, you know, so they're not putting themselves at risk and they're not putting those delivery people at risk, you know, um, that, that would be something that would be hugely beneficial right now. Uh, and I actually just wrote an article about that too, uh, which you can find on navigantresearch.com. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, what I'm seeing is, 
you know, even before this, you know, was an increasing emphasis on the goods delivery component of this as, as a key part of the business model, certainly from Ford. Waymo has been, you know, doing a lot more around goods delivery over the past year, you know, and, and other companies are also moving in that direction. So how, how about trucking? Cause that's also something that you keep out and, and I totally get it because like this is the problem is once you start if you don't draw a line somewhere yeah soon you're assessing like a hundred companies and it just becomes this unmanageable thing um but but as you say also at the same time like um companies are like some of these other business models are seeming like you know a more viable strategy at least in the in the shorter term and um that certainly would factor into strategy go to market strategy um things like that so so is are is, is trucking uh Another one that you would think about? Yeah, tr- trucking. Trucking is a very Im- important uh, business uh, for you know a, a, a application for this technology. Um, you know, certainly Waymo's in there, but you know, companies like uh, Too Simple, uh, you know, is also another key player in there. And and there are others. You know, Daimler has been working on this stuff for a while. So um, we do expect that to be a, a major part of this business uh, in the coming years. We haven't yet done a leaderboard focusing on. Uh, the AV trucking market. We did publish a, a forecast report on autonomous commercial vehicles last year, um, and uh, so we're you know this is one of the things that we're we're looking at you know potentially adding later this year uh, as we update our our roadmap of what reports we're going to publish. We do this a couple of times a year as we we sit down and look at what are the things that we should be what are the topics we should be covering, and so this is definitely one that I have on my list to potentially add in, uh, in the second half of this year. Well, guys, we are uh, almost out of time and we need to wrap this up. I have to go off and, uh, write more about COVID-19, but I am really curious to see how things change over this next year. And if a lot of companies pivot, especially the smaller ones and shift away from, caring people and more towards caring packages and also around that design. Yeah. I, I would not be surprised to see that happen. Um, you know, some, you know, some of these companies are already have, you know, a fairly focused approach like may mobility voyage, you know, that are focused on specific markets. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see more of these companies, you know, shift towards the, the goods delivery aspect, um, you know, and, and maybe start, you know, to, showing us some delivery bots, you know, to compete with neuro. Uh, and that's, you know, that's another area that, you know, maybe a separate leaderboard focused just on that, uh, that topic might be of interest as well. When I think this also brings up a, a really interesting point in all this, which is um, sort of a publicity approach for, for these companies, companies in the space, right. It's a very competitive secretive space because it's developing new cutting edge technology. And as a result, it's very hard to communicate a lot about, about what you're doing sort of in any kind of granular way. But, um, you know, whether these companies like it or not, people like you and, and us and everyone is going to try and um, understand and, and even on an informal sort of back your head basis, sort of think about where these companies stack, how these companies stack up against each other. And I think that thus far, um, well, sort of up until the last year or so, I think the incentive was maybe a little bit more on them to stay quieter and let people just imagine the awesome autonomous future that was in progress. But I think that sort of now as you've had this traffic disillusionment and some more challenges with AV perceptions um, and, and you know, I, 
I don't know, maybe I'm curious your, your, your thoughts on this, but it seems like um, not just to make this report better, but to kind of deal with some of these problems more broadly, uh, it seems to me that AV companies are maybe going to have to sort of open the kimono a little bit more and start sharing a little bit more just so that people have uh, are armed with more of the of the information that they need to uh, to think about think about them accurately. Yeah, no, I, I agree. You know, I think that they they need to be a little more transparent, and I think that you know we need to start pushing these companies to be more open with you know some real actual useful data. You know, and by that I mean not the disengagement reports or total miles driven. You know, which I you know I have long said, you know, are effectively useless. Um, you know, so I think they do need to be more transparent. And I think they also need to be more transparent uh, with regulators, although I think the the current batch of regulators that we have uh, aren't likely to do anything useful with it anyway. But, you know, we'll see what happens next year. Um, but certainly, you know, in, in other parts of the world where regulators have shown an interest in, um, you know, trying to find ways to measure the the uh, you know, develop some metrics and some standards for the performance of these systems. Uh, you know, I think if, if the manufacturers can be more, um, more open with sharing really useful data, then, you know, we can hopefully develop some useful metrics. And then, um, you know, the, the other challenge I think, you know, that we're going to see, especially this year and in, well into next year is for the startups is going to be funding. You know, I think that, you know, Waymo, got very lucky with their timing of their their funding round that they just did. Um, I, I think that Zooks, uh, given what's going on right now, as, as much as I respect a lot of what Zooks is doing, um, they're in the midst of trying to do a funding round, and I think it's going to be really challenging for them. And that's, that's going to gonna be very tough for them. And then especially for a lot of these smaller companies that haven't raised nearly as much, you know, that I think are doing some really interesting things, but um, you know, they're just not as well funded and, you know, companies like May and Voyage and, and some of the others. Um, so it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. It it will indeed. Well, um, thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you, Sam, for, um, first of all, for just doing this, like it, it's, this is such a, I don't know, it's easy to cr- criticize this or any, any ranking of this stuff, but like actually doing this, I mean, I would be really intimidated by even, even trying to do this. So thanks for, for doing this. Thanks for being a good sport with us and and coming on the show and answering our questions. Um, before we go, if people want to follow you, follow your work, maybe buy the report, where are some of the places they can find you or, or, or reach out to you? So you can find the report at uh, navigantresearch.com. And uh, if you uh, go under, um, I think it's uh, services or something, the services tab at the top of the page, um, and uh, then go to mobility, you'll find it there. Um, You can also find me uh, on the Wheel Bearings podcast with Dan Roth and Rebecca Lindland every week. Uh, Oh, it's under research solutions uh, and scroll down to mobility. And you'll find a link where you can purchase the report. Um, and then uh, what else? Uh, you can also find stuff I write on Forbes. I do a column every month for uh, the SAE Engineering Magazine. Um, and uh, oh. I'm, I'm all over the place. Yeah, follow follow Sam. It's at Sam Abosamid on Twitter. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, follow him on Twitter for sure. And as always, I'm Alex Roy144, reachable on all platforms. Ed? Twitter Meyer on all platforms. Uh, just on Twitter. Actually. And Kirsten Korosek with a C in the end on all platforms. 
Bye. See you guys next week. Thanks, Sam. It's been a pleasure.